Before we get started, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. I ask you to join me. Lord, we come to you this morning in the name of Jesus. And we just remind ourselves, Lord, that we have no hope of being heard by you apart from the work that you've done in your Son. And so we come today as your church, your people, in the name of Jesus, Lord. And we desire, God, we're about to open your Word. And we desire, God, that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us from your Word. And I just amen that prayer that was already prayed earlier today, God, that you would keep us in your sovereign power and all of your power and all of your authority, Lord, that you would keep us from meeting together in vain. I pray for all my brothers and sisters in this room this morning and for even people in this room that I don't know yet, Lord. I pray, God, that you'd speak to us, that you'd speak from heaven, Lord, and that you would arrest us, Lord, arrest our attention with your words. God, help us to linger over this passage of Scripture that you've led us to this morning. And we pray, Lord, that you'd feed us, feed our souls with bread from heaven. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus, Lord, to you. Amen. All right, if you have not been with us the past, really for a long time, the five, six months, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark together on Sunday mornings. And today, we're about to back out of that series... And for the next six weeks, eight weeks, we're about to walk through uh, some very specific teachings on the local church. And the reason that we're doing that is very simple. We need reminders as Grace Community Church, as church members. We need consistent reminders in our life of what we're going after, why we're doing what we're doing. And so that's why we're about to spend some time going real specific after the church. We need to grow. Grace Community Church is not perfect. Uh, We need to grow. We have not arrived. And so we want to set aside some specific time over the next weeks to look at some some specific things with the aim towards, Lord Jesus, we want to grow corporately. We want to to progress on corporately and grow into the likeness of Christ. So today, we're starting that off in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be talking today about the responsibility of church members. Every single Christian has a responsibility. They're a member of the church a responsibility of church members. And so if you'll get your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, our text today is going to be verses 1 through verse 16. Now, we have got a tremendous amount to cover, and I'm going to be trying to go as fast as I possibly can. So usually we would read the text at the beginning, but we're not going to do that today. We're going to read it as we unpack it together. So get your place in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're about to launch out on that in just a second. But before we do that... We're, we're, we're parachuting into the book of Ephesians and Ephesians chapter 4 at a very unique place. This is the hinge point in the letter to the Ephesians. Okay? And the context here, you need to understand it because it's powerful and it's instructive. This is like a hinge and a swing that the whole letter is about to, to, to pivot on and to turn. And I want us to see that. So for just a moment, we're going to get oriented in Ephesians. Okay? Now, the main message of Ephesians is to set forth the church of Jesus Christ as a glorious church. The body of Jesus just filled with glory from on high. This is the message of Ephesians. And you say, who is the church? The church are the called out ones, the, the redeemed ones of Jesus. In Ephesians, 
The church is, is the supernatural community that's been created by the work of Christ. It's an entirely new humanity. You see that in Ephesians chapter 2. A new humanity has been created in Jesus. A new creation. Okay? This is the church. Supernatural community. The new people of God. And according to Ephesians, this church is glorious. So for three chapters, boom, 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 over and over, Paul starts showing this church everything that they have in Jesus. And it just keeps coming one after the other, that Jesus' church is glorious. In Ephesians chapter 1, this church of Jesus is said to be endowed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every single one of them, the church has got it. Every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to this group of people, the redeemed ones of Jesus. This includes, in Ephesians 1, this includes election, This includes redemption, forgiveness of sins, adoption. This includes a place in the kingdom of Jesus when He sums all things up in the Son. And most of all, this includes that we, the church, have been sealed with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. The church is glorious. This is Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 2, this same group of people has been brought near to the living God. The far off ones brought near to the living God by the blood of Christ. We have been joined to Jesus even in His ascension. In Ephesians chapter 2, we are the ones seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. Did you catch that? We're here today and we're talking at this address on this street. But Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are seated with Christ In the heavenly places, do you see this glorious body of Jesus? Do you see the glory in the church? Are you beginning to see how exalted this body of Jesus is, this church? We are the people of the living God. We're the people of the living God. We are the temple of God on this planet. We're the body of Christ. This is us. This is the church. This is the blessings that have been poured on us, the people of God. The church of Jesus is glorious. In Ephesians chapter 3, we're almost there. In Ephesians chapter 3, we take a little shift and there's prayer offered up for this glorious church. And it's basically summed up like this. Oh, if she could ever get what she has in Jesus. Oh, if she could ever see what she has in Christ. This she would be filled with the fullness of God. And then he bows down and he cries out to God, Oh, that God would be glorified in His church forever in all generations that God would be glorified in His church. This is an exalted, glorious body, the church of Jesus. And then we come down to Ephesians chapter 4 with a massive therefore. So we come way up in the heavens in this exalted, glorious people of God and then the rubber's about to hit the road in our text today. So let's pick it up in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so there's your transition. We just transition in this letter. That's the pivot. That's the hinge. We transition from what God has done in Christ for us to what we must do as followers of Christ. We just transition from done and to do. And we see in this text that this great calling that we've been called, we've been called to Jesus, it's not only comes with it great privileges, the ones we just unpacked, but also great 
responsibility. We, as the church of Jesus, we must live in a certain way. Or according to that verse, we must walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. This includes every church member on the planet, and this includes every church member at Grace Community Church. We must walk worthy. This is the overarching theme of this passage today. Because of what happened to you in Jesus, something is demanded of your lifestyle. You must walk worthy. So, let's, let's get the structure of the text in our minds first, and then we're going to unpack it. This Walk worthy is the overarching command. It's like the global command and it's expressed in two ways in our passage. Walk worthy by maintaining the unity of the body and walk worthy by building up the body. Those are the two commandments that we're going to unpack on our way through. Okay? Walk worthy by maintaining the unity of the body and walk worthy by building up the body of Christ. So, before we even go further, I want you to see that there's a root under both of those expressions that in order to walk worthy, there is, and I want this phrase to stick out into your mind today, there is a pervasive concern that every church member is to have for every, for every member of the body of Christ. You are to have a pervasive concern for the church of Jesus. This is what it means to walk worthy in this passage. And you say, wait a second. Wait a second. Hold up. Are you saying... Are you saying, is this what you're saying? Is, are you saying that my life as a Christian will be judged as either worthy or unworthy for what I did or did not do to the church of Jesus? No, I'm not saying that. The Holy Spirit of God in Ephesians chapter 4 is saying that to every person who's saved in this room. That you will be judged as either worthy, your lifestyle on this planet, as either worthy or unworthy in light of what you've done with the body of Christ, with the people of God. You, this is a reminder for you, before we even jump in, you are the member of a living fellowship. Not a dead institution. This is not an organization. You are not a member of a country club. This is not a social club. Your job is not to show up and enjoy and sit and soak. We are the church. We're the people of God, the living body of Christ on the planet. Your job according to this text, is to walk worthy and devote your life to the people that Jesus has purchased with His own blood. I want us to feel the weight of that. I want us to feel the weight of that, that we must walk worthy and we must be oriented away from ourselves to our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what it means to walk worthy on this planet, a pervasive concern for the body of Christ. Now that commandment is going to express itself in this first way about unity. So let's unpack verses 2 and 3. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And something beautiful I want you to see there. This is another done that we have in Jesus. That we don't come to the start line and, and, and we don't start this from zero. We already have unity in Jesus. It's a purchase. It's a blood-bought gift to the church. Our job is to maintain it. The Spirit is the one who creates the unity of the church. Our job is to maintain it. The unity of the Spirit is not a human achievement. Okay? We are one in Jesus. In the heavenly places, we're unified. This is a commandment that we would show forth the unity that we already have in Christ, that we would make it visible 
on this planet. That we would show that we would show it forth, that we would maintain it with eagerness. Now, if you're I love the book of Ephesians, and it might surprise you like it did me, that for three chapters you get done, 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 and the moment you swing into the do's in Ephesians, this is the first commandment that he hits the church with is about unity. Now that just surprised me. Okay? And in my mind, that, that's not the first thing that comes to my mind when you, when you pivot into now I'm about to lay the practical on the people of God. The first one is about unity. So you may be surprised by that. And you may be surprised that this text puts unity in it. The, there's an urgency to it. It doesn't just say maintain unity. It says with eagerness, maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity in the church is not created by being passive. It's created by eagerly doing something. And according to this text, it tells us exactly what to do. We must go after the five essential attitudes that promote unity. Listen to them. They are humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and they're all wrapped in love. Do you see how low we must get towards the body of Christ if we want to experience the unity of the Spirit on this planet? These attitudes... This lowliness, this love, it must mark every single member of the church of Jesus. No amount of Bible teaching, no amount of uh, prayer meetings, no amount of being nice to each other can make up for, for the lack of these five attitudes. They are foundational. If we don't walk in these things, we don't walk in unity in the church. The Lord knows that we need this command. He's smarter than I am. This would have been the last command to come to my mind to lay on the church. But the Lord Jesus is smarter than I am and He's smarter than we are. He knows that we need this command to forbear one another. Why? Because this is just reality. We are sinners. We have the fragments of an old fallen nature and every one of us carry it around. It's bad enough when we're by ourselves in our closet. Okay? But it's only magnified a hundred times over when we get in the same room together. So the Lord knows that we need these commandments to forbear and to maintain unity. And I just want to remind you this. We are not above schisms and factions and divisions and gossip and quarreling. We're not above that at this church. Okay? That is not above us. We are prone to these things. And we will enter seasons where we have to go to war as a local church for unity. And this text says if we're going to walk worthy, when we enter those seasons, we will eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 4 through 6 says, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Alright, this is the Christian gospel. This is the glue that holds the church of Jesus together. This is our message. And I want you to notice how many times the word one just showed up in, in three verses. It showed up seven times. We are one, and our message is one. There is a unifying reality that has happened to every Christian. This is the Christian gospel. Now, on the backside of a call to unity, this is really instructive, okay? The unity that the church goes after is not a unity that plays games with the gospel of Jesus. Our message is one. We don't have many messages. 
The humility that we're called to go after is not a humility that plays games with the gospel. We have one message. The church that perverts the message ceases to be the church. If you pervert the message, you're no longer the church. We have one message. This is the glue that binds us together. Now here's the message of verses 4 through 6. There's one God. There's one Lord. There's one Spirit. There's a Trinitarian holy God that created all things. This is the foundation of the Christian gospel. And the Bible tells us that God created all things, included every single human being. And the bad news of the Bible is very clear and it's very simple. The bad news is that every single human being on the planet has rebelled against their Creator King. That's called sin, according to the Scriptures. And so the bad news of the Bible is that the default destination to every single human being on the planet is not the good place, but the bad place. Why? Because we've all sinned and God the Holy Judge has promised every single sinner the soul who sins shall die. That's Ezekiel 18 verse 4. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says there is not a righteous man on on the face of the earth who does good and never sins. You'll never find him. The bad news of the Bible is that we've all sinned and we all will face judgment from God the Judge. This is the foundation of the Gospel. And then, but God, but this holy Trinitarian God, in unthinkable love, in unthinkable mercy, He unleashes this plan of the ages. And God the Son comes to earth and He becomes the God-man, the Lord Jesus. This is the Gospel. And Jesus comes and He stoops down in condescending grace and Jesus becomes a man. And then what does He do? He lives a righteous and a perfect life. The life that you should have lived, Jesus lived it. He lived a perfect life under the same law that you have broken thousands of times in your life. He's the spotless one, the righteous one. And this perfect life of Jesus qualifies Jesus to die in your place for your sins. His perfect life qualifies Him to be the Lamb of God. And then what happens? He lays His life down. Christ was crucified on the cross for our sins. Now you need to catch something. If you don't see the substitution, you'll never understand the death of Jesus. You'll never understand it. The Christian Gospel is this, that Christ was crucified for our sins. And what that means is that God the Father did something to Jesus when Jesus was on the cross. What did He do? Our sins were placed on Him. All of our iniquities were laid on this Lamb. And then God the Father... What does He do? He pours out the wrath on God the Son. And He punishes Jesus as though Jesus were guilty of your sin. This is substitution. Your punishment falls on another, the Lamb of God. And Jesus becomes the wrath bearer. He bears it all, even to death. Jesus poured out His life to death. And He bore all the wrath of God for sinners. And the Bible teaches that He really, 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 really died. That His heart stopped beating, that He stopped breathing, that His body became cold and they put Him in the tomb. He was dead, dead, dead. And then the Christian Gospel says that three days later, the Son of God made flesh, rose Himself from the dead. His resurrection declares to all the creation that He is the universal Lord of all that He has made. And from this exalted state, from this place of authority, 
From this place of victory, Jesus looks to every single one of us and promises that every single person who repents of their sins and trusts in Him will be forgiven of their sins and receive eternal life. This is the one message that saves sinners on the planet. This is the gospel. This is the Christian gospel. This message is exclusive. It's one, not many. The fact that there's one God means that every other God that claims to be God is a false God. There's one Lord. His name is Jesus. He has all authority. Every other claim to authority is a liar, an imposter, and is false. There's one faith. And that means that every other religion on the planet is, de- is deception and deceived and it ends in destruction. There's one way that sinners can be forgiven from God the judge. It's through God the Son, crucified for sinners on the cross. This is the message. This is the message. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let me just say this. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, I want to encourage you, before I even finish this sentence, I want to encourage you to repent of your sins and put all your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. His name alone will save you from the wrath of God. And I want to encourage you to put your trust in Jesus. He's the only safe place for you on the planet. He's the only safe place for you in eternity. This is the one message. But it's a glorious message. It's an exclusive message. But it's also a unifying message. Now why in the world would that message be unifying? Because there's a group of people on the planet that respond to that message and say, Yes, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. That group of people is called the church. And the Christian gospel glues the church together. This is who we are. We are in Christ Jesus together. The same thing happened to you, happened to me. Believe the gospel. We may be a new creation. I'm forgiven of my sins. That's the foundation of our unity. We have one message. Now, do you see why it's so important to give a visible demonstration of this oneness that we have in Jesus? Do you see why it's so important that we do that? Now, I'll say to every single person in here, If there's another church member, there ought to be zero tension between you and another member of the church of Jesus Christ. Zero. Why? Because everything we just talked about, this is what you share, you are in Jesus together. Not an ounce of tension between you and another member of the church of Christ eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Verses 7 through 11 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and He gave gifts to men. And saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Alright, with these verses, we just went into another section. This is the reason, this is why we can walk worthy. Okay, This is why we can live a life on this planet that's called worthy instead of unworthy. You say, what do you mean? That verse just teaches that every single church member receives grace from Jesus, every single one of us. Okay? 
Now that word is a very broad word in the Bible, the word grace, and it describes pretty much everything that we have received in Christ, but something specific is going on here. This verse teaches that every believer receives a power and an ability, a gifting from Jesus to serve His body. That's what that means. This, is, this word is used this way in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7-8. through 8. Listen to this. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you see this? A grace gift from Jesus is that He gave you a power and an ability to serve God. Every single member of His church receives a gift, an ability, a power, a grace. Because each of us have received a grace from Jesus, this means that each of us has a role to play in enriching His body. Because each has a gift, we each have a role. We each have a responsibility toward the body of Christ. The grace that Jesus gives, these grace gifts that He gives here are diverse. Everybody does not receive the same gifting. Okay, So in this beautiful union, this passage just went from all this unity to all this oneness into all this diversity. And this is the wisdom of God. That in His unified body, His one body on the planet, we're not all cookie cutter. We don't all get the same gifts. We don't all have the same abilities. This is the wisdom of God. This is how He's he's building His church. Jesus gives us different abilities. I want to read you a verse. We're going to talk about Matthew 25 for just a minute. Matthew 25, there's the parable of the talents. Listen to this. Jesus gives us different abilities. Abilities, Not just different giftings, but different strengths of giftings. Not just different abilities, but different strength abilities. Okay, Matthew 25, 15 says this. To one he gave five talents. To another, two. And to another, one. Each according to his ability. Now listen to this. I, I, I just think this is an awesome thing that God has done. In the parable of the talents, in that parable we just read about, the, the, the servant that received five talents, he doubled his. I don't know if you remember this story, but he doubled it. And so he gets five and he comes back with ten. And the reason that this is important, sometimes we can have skewed views toward fruitfulness and faithfulness in the body of Jesus. Sometimes we think wrongly that it's all about metrics and numbers. Okay? And that if he leads 100 to Christ and I lead 50 to Christ, he outdoes me, he gets the greater reward. That is unbiblical and that is wrong. And we're going to see that in this text. Okay, The one that has five talents, that turns it into ten. He, uh, Jesus opens his mouth to this servant in Matthew 25, verse 21. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. You see that commendation that he gets from... From Jesus. He got a good job. You are a faithful servant. And then the next one comes, and he's the one that's received two talents, and he's also doubled his into four. Now, he's thinking, like, surely I'm not like five that doubled it into ten. So this two that doubles it into four, he comes before Jesus and listen to what he what he hears. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. 
he received the exact same reward that the guy with five did when he doubled. Why? Why in the world would that be true? Because God treats us according to our abilities. We do not have the same giftings. We do not have the same strength gifts. We don't have the same gift sets. Jesus has determined this in His wisdom and His sovereignty. And that ought to make us stop comparing ourselves with our neighbor and get busy with being a faithful steward with the grace that God has given you. Get your eyes off your neighbor and you be faithful with the grace and the ability that God has given you. Notice in this passage that these grace gifts, they come from the ascended Christ. Jesus gives these gifts as part of His ascension. And we have these, this Old Testament quote here. Paul refers back to Psalm 68. And Jesus is pictured in these verses like a victorious conqueror ascending to His throne. And these verses tell us that Jesus has triumphed over His enemies. That's all the powers of darkness, all the, all the spiritual forces of wickedness. Jesus has conquered them like a victorious conqueror. But even more than that, even more than that, Jesus did more than defeat His enemies. This verse says that He dog walks them. And that He takes, he, as He's ascending to His throne, He plunders the enemy. And He's snatching things from the enemy all the way to His throne. You see Jesus and He's pictured like He's had a wagon load of spool. The spoils of war. This victorious conqueror. And you see Him in His authority. He's got captivity captive. And He's going to His ascended throne. And then you see in all this authority, you see the grace and the mercy of Jesus that He takes these spoils of war and He begins to dish them out to His church and to His people. And we get to share in the victory of this conquering warrior. This is the grace gifts of Jesus. They're given by the ascended Christ. In verse 11, these gifts get specific. Not only does each member of the body of Jesus get grace gifts from God, Jesus also gives leaders as gifts to His church. These are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now we don't have time to unpack this like I wish I had time to do, but these are not just gifted men. These are office bearers in the church, appointed leaders. And so what these verses mean, not just any person who has the gift of teaching, but appointed teachers in the church. Not just someone with a gift of evangelism, but appointed evangelists in the church. Not just someone with a gift of prophecy, but an appointed prophet in the church. These appointed leaders are a grace gift from the ascended Christ to His church. So far, here's where we're at. Every single member receives a grace gift from Jesus. And then Jesus, He distributes the spoils of war. And part of what He gives His church is these gifted, appointed leaders. And we have to ask the question, why? What are these gifts, what is this grace to be used for? And verse 12 answers the question. Listen up. These gifts are to be used to equip the saints for the work of of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now you can take that verse and you can divide it in half. And the first half of that verse is the leader's responsibility in the local church. They are to use their giftings from Jesus to do this. And in the back half of that verse, every single church member is to use their grace, their abilities from Jesus to do this. And so leaders are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is our job as leaders in the church of Jesus. 
The verb to equip here is twofold meaning. It means to repair what's broken, to repair what's broken, and to supply what's lacking. To repair what's broken, and to supply what's lacking. And you can see that same Greek word used in these ways in Mark 1.19 and 1 Thessalonians 3.10. This is our job as leaders in the church. As shepherd teachers, we are to mend the broken. We're to bind up the broken. And as shepherd teachers in the church of God, we are to supply what's lacking. We're to build the body of Christ. We're to build them up. We're to equip the saints for the work of ministry. This is mainly done by the leadership through the ministry of word and the ministry of prayer. This is how they do their job. This is how they equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now I'm going to bring this down really practical to us because there's a principle here. This leaders equipping saints for ministry, there's a principle here that we have made a very strong and sustained effort to go after. And here's what I mean. We are about decentralized ministry at Grace Community Church. Why? For this reason. For this reason. We believe that the Bible teaches that is the leadership's job of the church not to plan everything out, not to do everything. The leader's job of the church is to equip the saints, the ones filled with the Holy Spirit of God to do the work of ministry. And so here's what I mean by this. This is going to happen over time that this is going to happen, that the Holy Spirit is going prov- to prick some of us about some sort of ministry, some sort of service that we wish we could see or that we long to be a part of. For example, something like this. I'd really like to impact that neighborhood. I'd really like to do something for that family or preach the gospel in that area. You know, I see a lot of young moms around, and I really would like to do something for those young moms. I want to do something about feeding the poor in my city or feeding the feeding the poor in my state. That's what I want to be about that. I want to go into the prisons and I want to minister the word of God and I want to share the gospel in the prisons. I see a huge financial need here and I want to meet it. That's, that type thing is going to happen and the Holy Spirit's going to prick us. Okay, and what we're saying, here's our strategy at Grace Community Church. We have no intention of, of centralizing and programming those things out. We have no intention of doing that. Our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So what we desire, instead of these programs, instead of everything being centralized, this is why churches have to have gigantic staffs because everything is centralized instead of the saints doing ministry. So what we desire is rather that the members of the body would initiate, plan, recruit, and go and do the works of ministry. This is what we're going after here. Now, we're not going to leave anybody uh, fending for themselves and feeding you to the wolves. We want to equip you. If, you. if you don't feel equipped to do a certain ministry, you need to feel freedom to talk to us about that. We want, to, we want to help in any way we can. We want to equip. But we have no desire to start programming out things in this church. And we see this as the biblical pattern, that the leaders equip the saints to do the work of ministry. If the saints don't do the work of ministry, the work of ministry will not get done. This is all of our job, every single one of us. Okay? And this is the biblical pattern. So according to verse 12, not only do leaders have a responsibility to equip the saints, every member has a responsibility to build up the church. Every member has a responsibility to build up the church. There's something that was recovered in the Reformation called the priesthood of the believer. 
where they recover this idea that every single Christian is a, is a priest to God. They have access to God. They don't have to go through a priest on this earth. They have access to God through the finished work of Jesus. Well, we need, th- we need this restored, this every member ministry of the body of Christ, that every single member in the church has a ministry, has a service to perform to the body of Jesus, to the body of Christ. You must have a pervasive concern for the growth of this church. You must have a pervasive concern for the growth of this church. Notice that I did not say your best friends are the people that you feel the closest to. This is a corporate concern. This gets bigger than me and my three, the people that I feel most comfortable around. This is the church corporately, the church as a whole. And this is a call. This, is, this means that every one of us, we're going to have to get out of our comfort zones with an eye towards strengthening the entire body of Grace Community Church. Every single member bears this responsibility. But don't forget, every single member has been gifted by Jesus for this task, every single one of us. So you have this idea of the church being built up, of the, of the leadership equipping the saints for the work of ministry, and everything's working towards this goal in verse 13. Listen to it. It's a glorious goal. Verse 13 says, Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. We have to keep building the church of Jesus until this is attained. And newsflash, this is not attained yet. Which means that we still build the church of Jesus, every single one of us. And here's what we're going for. This is beautiful. We're going for this unity centered around the faith, around biblical doctrine, about the Word of God rightly divided. But not just that. We're also going after the knowledge of the Son of God. We're not just going after truths about Jesus. We're going after fellowship with the living Christ Himself. And so what this means is that church maturity is a church that's anchored in the Word of God. They're anchored in the truth. And they burn with passion for the Lord Jesus. Both and spirit and truth. This is church maturity. This is what we labor for. This is what we're going after. This perfect maturity ultimately awaits the church at the return of Christ. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that comes when Jesus comes and glorifies His bride. But we labor towards this aim. We labor towards the holiness of the church. And we don't stop until Jesus returns. This is the every member ministry of the body of Christ. And the next verse is going to tell us why should we do this? Why should we build the church up brick by brick by brick? Why should we do that? Verse 14 says this, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And this is a reminder for us of why we must build the church of Jesus. The church of Jesus, Grace Community Church, exists in a hostile world There are spiritual forces of wickedness in combat. There's tension in this world. And we must build up the church of Jesus so that she withstands the winds of heresy. When heresy unleashes the gales against the church of Jesus, there's a sound doctrine and there's a corporate maturity that keeps us safe from heresy. From all this cunning, all this trickery. And and this maturity that we're going after, it also helps us in doctrinal imbalances. 
And I know some of you have been around long enough to see some of these winds sweep through the church to where all of a sudden you got this side issue, this secondary doctrine, and everybody's talking about it, and it's the focus of attention, and it's a wind blowing, and you see people, entire churches just tossed about and swept away by those winds. There is a doctrine, sound doctrine, there's a corporate maturity that keeps us safe from being blown all over the place by side issues, by secondary doctrine. It keeps us anchored in our job. This is why we must build the church. This battle is real. I just want to highlight that. There's a real battle that the church will be infiltrated, blown against by false doctrine. It'll it'll, it'll never stop until Jesus returns. So what must we do? That's why we should build, but but how do we do it? How do we build up the church? I know I should be doing that. You, You made that pretty clear, but what am I really supposed to be doing? Verse 15 and 16 says this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is supplied. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So here's what we do. We speak truth. We speak the truth to one another. Now what is truth? Truth is really hard. It's, it's like concrete. It's like a diamond. It's inflexible. Okay? And we get, we got to speak that to one another. And that's going to be hard because truth is inflexible. It, it refuses to conform. If you want to receive truth, you must conform to it. But we must speak truth. The church of Jesus must speak truth. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, we have this description of the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. The church of Jesus must speak truth. This is our job. Mature Christian churches confront, they challenge, they're truth speakers. Mature churches are truth speakers. It is the responsibility of every single member of this church to speak the truth to one another. It is your job, you are commanded by God to speak the truth of the Word of God to one another. How are you doing at that? How is that going for you? Do you see how intricate and how involved we have to be in one another's lives to keep these commandments? We must speak the truth of God to one another, to our brothers and sisters. But not only are we to speak truth in this passage, we are to speak the truth and then the words drop like a hammer, in love. In love. What is this all about? This clarifies some, some, this, this hard and flexible truth is wrapped in this glorious grace called love. And these are, these, are, these are the glorious tensions in the Christian life. Truth and love. Speak the truth and love. And this clarifies a couple of things about truth speaking. Number one, our goal is not to win arguments. Our goal is to win people. We speak the truth out of love. We're not trying to be right. We're trying to win people to Jesus, we're trying to help our brothers and sisters to grow. Number, tr- number two, speaking the truth in love demands that we know our moments with people. There is a way to force a conversation that should not happen. You need to know that. Even Jesus stopped conversations with his disciples because he knew that they couldn't bear anymore. 
You need to speak the truth in love. And part of that is that you know your time to have hard conversations with people. Number three, speaking the truth in love demands that we speak the truth with patience. Why? What's that all about? We have to speak the truth with patience because we're going to encounter people that we speak the truth of the Word of God to and their immediate response is not going to be, thank you very much. I repent in dust and ashes. What could I possibly have been thinking my whole life? It's going to take some time and we must be the servants of God who speak the truth of God's Word with patience, waiting for the Lord to grant repentance. This is speaking the truth in love. These are, this is a beautiful balance together. This is a beautiful balance that we must go after. Truth without love leads to pride. There's plenty of that going around. Okay, We don't want that. Love without truth leads, it produces cowards. Plenty of that going around. We don't want either one of those. We want truth in love. And may we as a church be known for both of those words. That's a beautiful balance there. And may every single church member strive to be known, not just for one or the other, but for both of those. Speaking the truth in love. We are commanded, we are to all speak the truth of God's Word in love toward one another. This is the commandment of this first. This is how the body of Christ is built up. Every single one of us. This is the strategy in the church that cannot fail. It cannot fail. This is Jesus' strategy for building up His church. And so what happens when we look across the church of Jesus and every member is doing its part, speaking the truth and love to one another, building up the body of Christ, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, what happens? Jesus says that's when the body builds itself up in love. That's when that church grows up into this perfect man, into the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. This is how Jesus builds His church. These are the commandments for a church member to walk worthy of the kingdom of God on this planet. I want to give you a couple of quick takeaways as we go to wrap this down because we have covered a lot in a little bit of time. And so I'll give you some just some simple thoughts to help bring this in. Number one, you need to get a pervasive concern for the local church. You need to get a pervasive concern for the local church. You need the heart of Jesus for Grace Community Church. You need the heart of Christ for every single member of this church. You can't do your job unless you have that. Okay? You can't do your job unless you have that. Number two, walk in humility towards the local church. Look around you for just a second. Left to the right. All right? We are servants. You just, looked at, you just looked at someone, you're their servant. To the left, yeah, and to the right too. Servant, servant. We're servants of one another, lowly servants. Our job is to serve one another. This will never change until the return of Christ. These are the people who we get low, we extend grace, forbearance, and wrap it all in love. This is who, this is who we are. You need to humble yourself before the local church. You are not better than anyone else here. We're humble servants. Number three, create opportunities to build up this local church by using your home as a place of ministry. Do you know how many hours of your life you spend at one place on the planet? A lot. Okay, You wake up there, you go home there, you go to sleep there. And so 
what we want to go after is that you would be a, a wise steward, a good steward of this place that God has given you to live. And the place of the home of every single church member, that it would be known as that's a place of ministry. That's a place where the body of Jesus is built up. That's a place where unity is pursued. Use your home in the mission of God. Use your home to build up the church. Number four, speak the truth and love to one another by being incredibly intentional with your time together. Speak the truth and love to one another by being incredibly intentional with your time together. I don't know if you've realized this, but you know, in college, everybody's like floating around like a bunch of hippies. You got all the free time that you could possibly imagine, you know. And then you get a job, and it's like, man, where'd my free time go? I, I hate growing up. And then you get a family, and it goes even more and even more. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're very aware. You, do, you don't get just unlimited interactions with the body of Jesus. You don't. How can you make the most of every single time that you pass a brother and sister? Extremely intentional with the body of Christ to speak the truth in love. And here's what I mean. There are some things that are just not worth talking about with another Christian until you know how their soul is doing in the Lord. There's some things that are just not worth, they're not worth talking about until you encourage one another. And then sure, after the essential thing happens, after the body is built up, after there's some edification, after there's some going after Christ together, back out of the conversation, talk about the weather, talk about all that stuff, sure. There's a fullness that we're supposed to know about one another. But how sad in all these interactions that we have, if, we're, if, if the last thing that we get to is speaking the truth in love to our brothers and sisters. This requires, because we have sin, because we live in a hijacked world, this requires that we be very intentional, extremely intentional with our time with one another to speak the truth in love. So I'll leave you with a parting thought. We're, we're about to be done and we're about to pray. And here's my parting thought. Will you be a church member that walks worthy of the calling that you've received? Will you lay your life down in pursuit of the church of Jesus growing into maturity? Will you do that? Will you walk worthy and build up the church of Jesus? May the Lord Jesus receive the reward for His suffering. And our prayer, as we go into this thing, our prayer is that King Jesus would receive a bride that's made herself ready, that we're ready for the King. So let's pray together. Lord, we come to You and we, we praise You, God, that we are Your church. It's just true, Lord. You've made us Your own. We're called by Your name. We're, we are Your possession, Lord, never to part from You. And Your church is indestructible, Lord. And we thank You, God, for bringing us into this, this eternal purpose that You've destined for us in Jesus. And we praise You, Lord, for this church. We praise You for Grace Community Church. We praise You, God, for every ounce of growth that You've given us. But Lord, we want to get up under Your Word. We want to humble ourselves and respond to Your commandments today. So Lord, we just call out to You, God, that by Your Holy Spirit, that You would drive these words into us. Lord, we pray. We pray that You'd help us to grow. God, we pray that You'd help us to long to be more and more like Jesus corporately. God, we pray that You'd strengthen weak brothers and sisters among us. God, we pray that You'd strengthen, encourage all of us, Lord, 
to build your indestructible body brick by brick. Lord, help us to spend our entire lives, Lord, serving your church, building up the body of Christ. Lord, we look to you. God, we ask you to do supernatural things in our midst. Get our attention in a way that lasts way longer than the next 30 minutes. Lord, grant us repentance. Lord, help us to walk worthy on this planet. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.